The movie that we're discussing on tonight's episode of Scream Queens, Boys in the Trees, while it's a beautiful, fabulous, queer little film, it does feature scenes involving homophobic language, homophobic violence, and applied sexual violence as well. Proceed with caution. This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified. Unique. Voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello. My name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! Hello again, my beautiful Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens. It's the podcast where horror gets gay. Tonight, it's episode 1319. It's the final episode of season 13, and because of that, I gotta bring you a movie that's extra special. We're talking about Nicholas Verso's 2016 love letter to Halloween, Boys in the Trees. And I'm thrilled to have as our very special guest tonight, the Reverend Ben Fitzgerald Fye. But before we get down to the show, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh, and ever since 2010, I have been your guide through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But you're going to have to see them through my very, 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 very gay little eyes. Hee hee tee hee. Well, it's not going to be hard tonight because this movie's quite queer. Well, before we start talking about the movie, I have a few things to talk to you about. First of all, I am very sorry that, yeah, we missed an episode earlier this month. I had some health scares um, related to stress. I just burnt out, and it would have been a bad idea for me to push through and get an episode out to you. But I did not want to end season 13 on a And this movie that we're talking about tonight is so special to me. I said, I want to take all that energy that I would have used putting out the episode on the estate and put it into this one because Boys in the Trees is an incredible film. It's also a film that's very hard to define because it's a horror movie, but it's not. It's an anthology film, but it's not. It's a coming of age story, but it's also a coming out story, but it's also not a coming out story. It's this world that's firmly grounded in reality, but yet also infused with dark fairy tales and fables and parables, but it's parables full of ghosts and witches and werewolves and zombies. It's literally going to give you all the feels. It's going to take you to heaven, but then drag you to hell and then plop you somewhere in between and say, find your own way home. It's one of these meticulously crafted movies where every single visual element has been selected to be there for a reason, to make the storytelling even richer. Every character's name has been chosen for a reason, and usually every character's name has multiple meanings, and every one of those meanings alters the story completely. You know how I love these movies, where the more I dig, the more I find this is one of those films. Which means, if you haven't seen the movie, it's going to be very difficult for Pastor Ben and I to walk you through the film in a way that you're going to understand. It's going to seem like we're jumping all over the place, because, well, we are, because there's so much to get through. It's going to be, well, let's just say Pastor Ben and I talked for two hours, and we barely scratched the surface. And this is a wonderful film. It's a powerful film. I think you will love this film. So please, I'm encouraging you, before you go any further, take the time to watch Boys in the Trees. It's available currently on YouTube for free. There's a link down there in the show notes. 
It's got Italian subtitles, but you know what? You can actually turn them off. So it's a beautiful print of the film without Italian subtitles. But I'm actually going to say, go out and buy this one. This movie is worth a buy because it's one you'll keep going back to and one you'll keep finding new things to discover about. But if you insist on going further, there will be a point in our storytelling, in our conversation, where Ben and I will have to say, stop. If you have not seen the movie, stop, stop, stop. The last reel, you, you owe it to yourself to watch the movie first before you go any further. So you're going to get two warnings. You're getting one now and you're going to get one later. But please go watch the movie now. The link's down there in the show notes. I will not say any more about it because I have one more thing to say before we start. I need to have a word with one of you. One of my beautiful screamers sitting out there in the dark. One of my beautiful screamers sitting out there in the dark going, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Well, that depends. Are you Megan Brooks? Because if you are not Megan Brooks, the following statement does not concern you. Hi, Megan. How are you, Megan? Nice to meet you, Megan. It has come to my attention that you doubted the word of Sandy Velotti. When she told you that we've been friends forever, oh, honey, not only is Sandy Velotti a Super Screamer patron, I've known Sandy Velotti since 1987. I've known Sandy Velotti since she was Sandy Zimmerman. I've known her since the Once Upon a Mattress cast party in 1987 with Wontaw High School, wherever the hell that was. I don't know. And that was even before I went to college with Sandy Zimmerman. That was before I bruised her hooters in 1988. That was before we did Feather on the Roof together. That was before most of the people on listening right now were probably born. So Megan Brooks, when Sandy Velotti tells you something, you believe it. Especially if it's about me. Okay, that was weird, but now we're back to the show. So uh, it's about time for me to play the trailer for Boys in the Trees, bring up Pastor Ben, and get on down to business. And please... If you haven't seen the movie, stop now. Go watch it on YouTube. You have been warned. Did you ever let down a friend? Did you ever say that you'd be there for someone and then you weren't? What's the plan for tonight? Little trick. Little trick. The freak gives me the creeps. <laughs> What's he done to you? You want to run with the wolves, you got to kill a few lambs. So which one are you going to be? These guys don't get you. We're teenagers. Nobody gets us. It's half fun. No. Everyone has somebody who understands them. Jonah, hey. Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> Walk me home. I'm not going anywhere with you. You owe me, old pal. That is where we are. The bridge over Kakaitis. Once we cross, we leave the mortal realm. And enter the world of enchantment where we see things as they really are. We saw zombies, ghosts, and werewolves. Just a stupid game. It was kids trying to spook each other with a bunch of fairy tales and chicken shit dares. Let us play again. Who wants to go hunting?
Yet sometimes you don't realize who you've left behind. So as I said before, Boys in the Trees, a film from 2016 written and directed by Nicholas Verso, is a love letter to Halloween. But the darker, ancient, mystical, dare I say, more spiritual roots of Halloween. And the spooky stories that our two main characters are going to tell each other on their long, dark walk home are not just ghost stories. No, 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 no. They're fairy tales. They're fables. They're allegories. Dare I say, they're parables. And that is why I am thrilled to have as our guest tonight someone who is really going to take our discussion to the next level. So please welcome back to Scream Queen Studios, Pastor Fabulous himself, Ben Fitzgerald. Bye! Hello, Patrick, or I guess I should say good day, Patrick. Oh, good day. <laughs> do not, do not open that door. <laughs> I can't do the accent. I can only me say Me neither, yeah. but it won't stop me from doing it horribly for the next two hours. And they don't want to hear that. They already, we already had to suffer through my Kath and Kim impressions when we did Sissy a few months ago. How are you, Pastor Ben? I am well. How are you? I'm very good. I'm stressed out, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm happy to hear, happy to be talking about this movie. Um, so just so you listeners out there know what happened, uh, we, we had a little bit of trauma. Well, I had a little bit of trauma trying to get this episode up and going. Because I, I'm, It's 10 minutes to my appointment with Pastor Ben, and I can't get Squadcast to recognize my microphone. This has happened in the past before, and I know how to fix it, but it takes time. But I'm on the clock right now. Pastor Ben is waiting. So I had to pull out my old sound setup and plug that in and get that all set up. And let's just say my heart is racing. My adrenaline is way too high. And if I proceed with the show as I am right now, it's going to be a train wreck. So Pastor Ben, please tell me something nice, something happy, something good, and talk me off of this ledge. Tell you something good. Uh, as I said, I live in rural New York. Uh, and so we're very happy that it's raining right now uh, because we haven't had rain in a while. Um, mm. And uh, also, you know, I was watching a kid on TV uh, protesting gun violence uh, this week. Mm -hmm. And I just got to say, those kids give me hope. Oh, so, yeah. You know, that's something good in the world. Those kids are doing some good stuff. Concur. Concur. Oh, I'm wearing my Scream Queens swag, by the way. I see that. Extra <laughs> points. Extra point. Pass. They can't, but I can. So thank you. Thank you. And actually, doubly thank you, because nothing makes me feel better or more calm than shameless product placement. So, kids, if you want to be cool like Pastor Ben, you too can get your Scream Queens t-shirt or any of our cool Scream Queens merchandise at Scream Tees, the official Scream Queens merchandise store at bit.ly slash merch SQ, bit.ly slash merch SQ. It's got the Pastor Ben seal of approval. <laughs> All right. So the movie that we are talking about is Little Diddy from 2016 from, as Pastor Ben indicated, the fabulous land of Australia, a movie called Boys in the Trees. So, Ben, since you are the guest, I need you to give me a nice, tight 30 second plot summary of Boys in the Trees. No pressure, but the clock starts now. So two estranged friends uh, who reconnect in some strange way as teenagers, uh, one a bully and one the bullied, uh, take a weird dark fairy tale kind of journey of redemption and confession um, and restoration. Uh, and it is just a remarkable little fairy tale parable of about humanness. 
yes, well, well done. It's a hard movie to encapsulate because it jumps genres and it's not like anything else out there. Which is why I can understand why this movie was so difficult to market because the trailer that you listen to, and if you watch it, you'll say, hey, that looks cool. It looks kind of like a spooky slasher movie set in Australia, which is not what you're getting at all. But there's elements of that. And everything that Pastor Ben said was true as well. But what I've decided to focus on for my 30 seconds is that what I think the movie is really about at its core is that this movie is a love letter to Halloween and not your modern, Americanized, commercialized version of Halloween. I'm talking about ancient, old world, Celtic, mystical, magical Halloween. Once upon a time, two teenage boys, once childhood friends, but now bitter rivals, agree to walk each other home through the woods. Because it's Halloween, and the woods are scary, dark, and deep. And because it's Halloween, tonight, the woods are filled with angry ghosts and hungry wolves. And until these boys have faced them all, the sun will never rise, the night will never end, and no one's coming home. Because it's Halloween. So did that scare you, Screamers? Did that give you goosebumps? Well, good. Although it's not completely accurate because I did what the marketing company did. I'm giving you what's on the surface, whereas Pastor Ben is giving you what's happening underneath. And it's the underneath stuff that's really what sells the movie, but it's not going to put butts in the seats. Your butt isn't going to be sitting down to see a movie about redemption and forgiveness. But if I put in some werewolves and ghosts, you're going to go. But this is the problem. This is both the problem and the magic of Boys in the Trees, selling people on it. For instance, I've heard a lot of critique that this movie is just ripping off Del Toro. No, I don't see that. I mean, yes, yeah, in that it, it it encapsulates a lot. Del Toro's style is is magical realism, which is not necessarily his. That's a very much Latin American literature style where the lines between reality and fantasy become blurred. And while that's happening here, it doesn't at all feel the same as it feels in a Del Toro film. That blur, it, it it's doing it in its own unique way. Well, and it didn't give it doesn't give me the same uh, Del Toro gives a kind of fantasy vibe um, and kind of fairy tale vibe. But this one, I this movie is it's a it's the scariest fairy tales of all are the real ones. Right. And so this has a reality to it that I don't think we see in other places like that. And it makes it so deeply unsettling that even the fascinating visual parts of it are still unsettling. Yes. Um, so I don't think it has the same vibe at all. No, me either. Me either. Um, and some people say, oh, well, as an anthology, it doesn't work either because none of the stories have resolution. It seems like they ran out of budget. I said, they don't have resolution because they're still resolving as the movie goes on. And they're parables. And they're parables. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because a lot of those stories that we hear at the beginning are only getting wrapped up at the very end because it turns out that they're not about the fairy princess lost in the tunnel. It's about these two boys walking home to the forest on Halloween night. Night of all nights. Of course. All right. So I think what we need to do to get things uh, kicked off here is that, um, well, I just want to talk about the uh, director a little bit. The director is a uh, writer, director, Nicholas Verso, uh, uh, Australian, obviously, uh, has done mostly a lot of shorts before this, but this script won the uh, best narrative screenplay at Newfest in 2011 before it was even produced. And mm. so people come back at me and say, this movie's not queer. I said, it won at Newfest. Which is an LGBT <laughs> film festival. This movie is queer as fuck. If you want to de-queer it, you can, you can, but it's it's there. 
100%. Well, can I say something about the queerness of the film? I mean, like, uh, because I get, like, I get it. I mean, you know, I understand sort of what folks are saying, but I think what makes this a very queer film is that the characters are in and of themselves existing in a fluidity, right? It's a lot of unanswered questions, which when we're teenagers, that's what our world is like, right? Um, and so I think the queerness is in the actual human relationships, right? It's not in the, um, hey, let's do things that people expect queer people to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's about loving other humans, right, in a way that is is what we're always supposed to be talking about, I think. Yes, yes, concur. Uh, what I was going to say is that what I like about this movie is that there is a queerness there. There is a gay element that's introduced at the last moment that you can kind of feel throughout. Like a lot of these things you, you're feeling throughout. You get your little visual hints and, and little hints. What I think what really makes the film resonate for me is something that you don't get in films very often is that you're getting affection between men or boys, whatever. It's not necessarily yeah. sexual. It's not, I mean, it's love. But it's yeah, not yeah. necessarily queer, but it's also – you can see that the characters have a fear of expressing it for fear of being labeled queer. Right. Yeah. And and, and you can see – you can see how it sort of – it starts at a complete standoff, mm-hmm. um, but as the layers are chipped away, right, it, the, the humanity comes out and the compassion comes out and the empathy comes out. And, you know, you kind of see that and you think, you know, that has that has nothing to do with – uh, who they make out with, right? This is about how you relate to other beings, right? Or are supposed to, right, before we got sick. I, I figure we might as well start at the top of the film since we'll talk about the reality of the world that we're in before we go off to Kakaitis. So tell me, where are we? What's going on at the top of the film? Yeah, so I mean, it said so. When it started, I thought, Patrick, what are you asking me to watch here? Um, like this, because uh, you know you, you're kind of watching a, uh, a a Tony Hawk skating video, right? Uh, so it's you've got this sort of skate atmosphere. It's very the music is fantastic. I mean, it's it took me back, right? Um, yeah, the soundtrack is a character on its own, and like all the all the songs were were specifically chosen. They're not just chosen to be cool 90s songs they are perfectly fitting into this this narrative and they're great fun but yes please continue so yeah we're at the skate park because it's the 90s <laughs> right and it, anytime you can squeeze lump into a soundtrack i'm on board but um so but yeah so and you're right away introduced to sort of these um you know the cool guys like in high school um we all know them uh because they still live there um and uh you know you you've got those guys and there's clearly this you know um, sort of psychopathic leader. Um, and so this is like the bullies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and am I allowed to say they later become the wolves, right? They're sort of the the predators. That's they they say that they say that right from the beginning. Like even in, the, in these early scenes, Django's like, hey, you want to run with the wolves, you gotta slaughter a exactly, few lambs. Right. Let me explain to you the lore of the jungle. You want to run with the wolves, you gotta kill a few lambs. Um, I actually wrote that quote down. Yeah. <laughs> you got to fuck with You got to fuck with the Eagles. You got to learn to fly. Well, you know, their leader says things like I'm a God here. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, the, so it's like the hyper stereotypical um, sort of small town uh, guy who's in charge of yep, the world. Yep. The, right? the senior, the, the high school seniors that are currently ruling the school, but their reign is over because it's the last day of school. You know, in their midst, of course. We have our conflicted young man, 
uh, Corey, Corey. Um, uh, who, you know, is clearly not like them, uh, <laughs> uh, except that he is uh, <laughs> because he wants to, you know, be safe. Or yeah, he wants, he's, yeah, he's fitting in. He's just he's going he's going along with the pack because that's what you do in this town. So he's running with the pack, except that he has these little voices of conscience. Right. Um, but he ultimately they encounter Jonah, right, who's the young, I, I guess he's the younger kid or the smaller kid. Um, and Jonah, the bullies attack Jonah, right? He's the sort of archetypal um, kid who gets picked on. Um, and so you're you're already thrown into this very uncomfortable um, sort of hierarchy and taken back to the days that we never wanted to go back to in high school, right? Where we had to deal with this crap. Um, and so that's sort of the atmosphere, right? Um, this sort of... Uh, divided world, right, between those who rule and those who who don't. Uh, what I thought was interesting too, I, I watched an, uh, an interview with the director and writer Nicholas Verso, who's saying that in the original script, Jonah, the the outcast character, was out and proud gay, like out loud oh, proud gay, okay. and said, but they changed it when when um what's his what's his name uh this actor Gulliver McGrath came in and said the energy was wrong, and said there's something so much stronger about going to the skate park yeah, where all the bullies are because you just want to skate. You know they're going to pick right. on you. There's something braver about doing that when you know that you're the, the weakling, that you're going to get away with it today maybe because it's Halloween and they won't recognize you with your mask and maybe you'll get to skate today. There's something a lot braver than that than having all the, the power of the gay movement behind you because this kid has nothing. Right. And nobody. Which, I mean, frankly, I mean, for a lot of folks is is probably the more relatable journey. Oh, yeah. Right. Despite any illusions that everything is fine because it's not. No, no. We all have to start somewhere. And that's usually where we start with nobody. Yeah, exactly. Right. And both of these boys are wonderful. Uh, Toby McGrath and Gulliver, uh, Toby Wallace and Gulliver McGrath. Uh, the two of them are powerhouse yeah. performers. And the chemistry between them is palpable, even when it's negative. There's so much weight to everything they did do. They're wonderful to watch. Yeah. And look, if there were any holes in this film, they took them away. I mean, you know, I was so mesmerized um, by their interactions. Um, it just, all the all the characters were just remarkable. I mean, this was a remarkable cast of people. One hundred percent. I yeah, I was truly just sucked in, um, and they're just fantastic. That was gushy. So. No, 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 no. But no, you're one hundred percent right. I'm right there with you. I, I mean, I. <sighs> there's so much that could turn me off about this movie because they don't speak like people sometimes they speak in a way that no teenager would but then i'm also realizing we're not in the real world anymore <laughs> they're they're not right yeah. they're not real teenagers we've crossed over we're we're at a certain point in the movie we, we are in another land and like other forces are at work here so other people might speak through them <laughs> i'm all for that um i do love the opening shot of the movie too which before we go uh, jumping into this reality of the last day of school we get something that's out of sequence we see Corey in his wolf outfit on a skateboard prowling the neighborhood. Right. But it's night. So it's already Halloween night. And he comes across these, these five little trick or treaters just pop out in front of him, just stand and stare at him. Oh yeah. Those creepy kids. Yeah. This is the night. The night of the grave delight. Tis the night. The night 
of the grave's delight. I had meant to write it down because I looked up the rest of that little poem, which she, the, the girl says to him later. I mean, right away, right? You're, it's just unsettling, very unsettling. And I realize that in, in the scheme of things, it's that when you see that, well, we'll come back to this later, but uh, when that particular scene would be when he's on the way to the skate park where he meets Jonah before the walk home. That's the introduction of like, hey, <laughs> right. warning, omens importance. Right. <laughs> There's going to be a lot more of this later. Have fun tonight. <laughs> Trick or treat. <laughs> well, and treat. all the, you know, all the masks are unsettling too. I mean, you know, everybody looks creepy. Well, just when five kids come out, like five little toddlers come out and just stand there and stare at you and don't say anything. That's already eerie. Right. And then yeah. when they say that kind of stuff, I'm out. But yeah, that, that quote, it is from a poem called Halloween, a romand, which means a romantic poem by Arthur Cleveland Cox. And apparently the quote they use in the movie is the only good quote because it's the only thing I could find. <laughs> it's like an eight page poem and that's the only good stanza, but it's a good one. It's a good one. Beware, beware my beauty fair. But what I think is interesting in these early scenes, like you're seeing that Corey's, he's part of the group, but his attention is wandering. Right. Like he, we like we learn that he's he's got his camera. He likes photography. He's thinking about going away to college in New York to study photography. But he hasn't told anybody. But even before that, there's a scene where you're just seeing everybody skating and he's taking pictures. And Jenko, the leader of the, the bullies, comes over. And says, hey, they're not your mates. Your mates are over here. Go on. Go. Corey's more interested in the people that are doing the good skating. You guys are boring. Right. <laughs> Because Jake was like, yeah, come on, I'll get cut. Take a picture of this. It's your money shot right here. He does the stunt. And it's like, wah, wah. Like the other kids are so much better, but got to do what Jenko says because he's the leader. Right. And I mean, you don't even really get the full taste of what a psychotic human being he is, right? Until until even after that little bullying exchange. But I had made, uh, I became fascinated with what people were dressed like for Halloween um, and I, I think I had a little aha moment when I was looking at it because uh, you've got the, you know, the wolves, right? The bullies. Um, you've got Corey who's wearing his little wolf outfit that basically harkens back. Right. Um, but then you've got like a clown. You've got like these plague doctor masks. You've got like a pig. And what I what Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> right. And, and what I kind of realized was. Corey's the one who wants to fit in with the wolves and he's the only one dressed like one because he's a fraud. It's fake, you know? And so the rest of them are dressed, you know, the clown thing is nightmarish and, you know, cause that's what clowns are, but yeah, they're the, the others are their true selves, but he's the one that's in the costume. Yeah. 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 He's the one that's wearing the skin literally, right. To try to fit in the, sh the yeah. sheep and wolf's clothing as I think, uh, someone calls him. Right. Yes. Um, the only girl in the story, the only female in the whole story, who is? Is it Romany? What are you meant to be? Sheep in wolves' clothing. Whatever. Romany, yeah. which I love. I love that they named her Romany. Because 10 years ago, they would have named her Gypsy. Because, <laughs> no, I'm serious, because she's like right. the she's yeah. the one woman in this, and she's got she's got magic. Yeah. Not real magic. The magic is that she's solid in herself. She's the only person in this whole story who knows exactly what she wants out of life and knows how to get it. And she doesn't need anybody else to do it. She's doing it herself. You can come along with me or because I might be your ticket out of here. Right. But I don't need you. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's she's all I mean, she's just a she's a remarkable character, too. Right. I mean, she's uh, at one point I kind of thought she was like this little voice of conscience. Um, but then I kind of realized that she's the, the real voice of 
how do you get out of here, right? She becomes kind of the guide. This is this is the real way out, and that's to get the hell out of this place. Um, and but her, I mean, her lines are just you know she's kind of fun in a dark, uh, sassy way, right? Um, and one hundred percent confident in who she is. She doesn't need these people. No, she's kind of a '90s goth girl, right? Yeah, yeah. We all were, but with wisdom. Right. And I'm going to repeat what I said earlier: is that this is why I love that they named her Romany. And I wasn't just making a joke that, you know, 10 years ago she would have been named Gypsy. But I think it's great that this is her name because she is the soothsayer in this movie. She's the only character who can see this world for what it is. She can see this town for what it really is. She can see Corey for what he really is. She can see those other boys for what they really are. She can see how she fits into all these things. And because she can see things how they really are, she essentially could see the future. She could see their future, which is giving her second sight, which is making her magical. I'm doing air quotes in a poetic sense. A common theme in this movie is that's repeated over and over is seeing things how they really are. We have to go to Kikaitis to see the world how it really is. She already sees it how it is. And this exchange that was going to happen here, which I think is really important. She also knows what tonight is all about. I saw an interview with Andrew Verso, the writer-director, and he said that in Australia, Halloween is always just starting to get popular now, and it's very much thought of as an American commercial holiday. And a lot of people aren't aware of its pagan dark origins. So that's what he wanted to tap into in this movie, the ancient stuff, the ancient magic stuff. So in the scene that I'm about to play where Romani repeats that phrase from the poem that we heard earlier, it makes it very clear that Romani is the only one who understands that what makes tonight different than any other night is that tonight is Halloween and Halloween, by definition, belongs to the dead. What are you meant to be? Sheep in wolves' clothing? Whatever. Halloween's just an American invention to sell lollies. Incorrect. Oh, yeah? Enlighten me. Tis the night, the night of the grave's delight, and the warlocks are at their play. Ye think that without the wild wind shout, but no, it is they, it is they. She has these wonderful moments of wisdom. You think this world, this town is frustrating for you? Try living it in a skirt. Yeah, right. I wrote that line down. And their, and their whole story, right? Corey and her kind of... You know, it has the Romeo and Juliet feel a bit. Right down to the balcony scene. Right, yeah. Um, and, it, and, you know, it, ha it has all of these really wonderful um, overtones of that kind of fairy tale prince and princess. Except she doesn't want it as much as he does. She's like, I could take this or leave this, which I think is great. Right. <laughs> yeah, she's like, it's Snow White if she weren't codependent. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> She's great. And Janko's fascinating too. Like I, I f find Janko fascinating on future watchers to watch him try to wrangle his troops. He's like the the baby, his baby birds are trying to leave the nest. And he just keeps trying to keep them all in because that's how he stays in power. So just to backtrack a bit, I mentioned that Corey is into photography and he's looking into attending photography school in New York. And there's a scene where all the boys are coming home from the last day of school and they're all Go to party at Corey's house. But it turns out that Corey's dad, who I think is the only adult that we meet in this story, has found the brochure for photography school 
and he's not happy. And he has a conversation, which I'm sure everybody who's pursued a career in the arts has had with their parents. They're on the other side of the world, mate. I thought you were going to study here like your old man. You might have thought that. Photography's a fun hobby. But it's hardly going to pay the bills, is it? We talk about this another time. Maybe, I don't know, May 18th. But the thing is, this exchange happens right in front of Jenko and the other boys. But particularly Jenko is not happy with this. And as much as he pretends he's not angry about it, photography all of a sudden becomes this weapon that he's always just needling. It sounds like compliments, but it's really not. It's, hey, what's the matter, Corey? I'm just fooling around. Can't you take a joke? But it's just a sign that times are changing and Jenko doesn't want things to change. So he has to fight like hell to make sure everything stays exactly the same. What's the plan for tonight? Little trick. Little treat. And a whole lot of tits at the towel. <laughs> for finishing high school the way we spent it. What's the matter, New York? Too good for it. What is this shit? You actually pissed about that? Well, I thought we were all going to Box Hill. The world is bigger than that. So what, you're just going to ditch us? Well, come on, it's not like you can hang out of the tower forever smoking billies. What the hell is wrong with that? Yo, Dave Bro! Shut the fuck up. It was just an idea. If it means that much to you, you get your panties in a twist. <laughs> My panties are fine, fuck knuckle. I don't like it when mum and dad fight. He's a he's a great villain. I mean, he has you know the using violence and fear, and you know he's a manipulative. Always with a smile, and always yeah. smiling about it, and you know all blonde and perfect, and you know and like the moment when he I I get I get I am getting ahead, but when he kisses the girl, right? Um, uh, he kisses Romany. Oh, uh, Jenko. Um. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Right in front of Corey, and I was thinking, well, that's just that's the worst. Like you're the worst person. Like, <laughs> no, well, that's that's the code of the wolves, man. Where it's like there's, there's right. what, what what do they say? Uh, uh, joints joints to smoke, fags to bash, bitches to right, fuck. Yeah, dude. New York had nothing to do with you. You don't ever get bored. Same old shit every day. Don't you ever want to get out of here? I'm right. I'm a god here. Way to smoke. Bitches to fuck. Fags to bash. Now, can you stop being a buzzkill? Please? Yeah, it's just what it's just another hall, man. And he's the alpha, and I just pissed under it. Yeah, I just have to remind you, I'm in charge here. Yeah. With a big smile though. And besides, you're leaving, buddy. You're going to New York, man. You're gonna be a photographer. Somebody's gotta take care of her when you leave her to go to New York to become a photographer, right, buddy? Fascinating. Yeah, and into this mix comes um Jonah, who we meet briefly at the set at the skate park. He's just trying to skate and he bumps into Jenko and immediately like we're five minutes into the movie and we get barotted with with F bombs. Whoa. The fuck? Are you blind? How many times have I got to tell you you are not welcome here? Are you fucking mute as well? Get the fuck up. Go. Go. Yeah, run, you little fag. <sighs> fucking freak gives me the creeps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a dickhead. 
Right. So trigger warning for that. Um, but they need to be there, unfortunately. Jonah gets punched and he gets a bloody nose and Corey being the photographer takes a picture of him on the ground with the bleeding nose and that becomes a big driving force. This photo, the rest of the film, as the, the wolves get a hold of him, like, you know what? Let's ruin his life. Hey, Corey, you want to be a famous photographer? Let's show the world your photography. So we're going to spread this photo all over town and torture this poor kid. Not bad, man. Some choice cuts. But your prime, A grade, numero uno piece de resistance is going to have to be. Yeah. <laughs> this shit's got a date with a local photocopy. Yeah, what are you going to do? You want to live the dream, don't you? Want the world to see your amazing photography? Lucky you got friends like us. Even if you're too stupid to realize it. What's he done to you? Let me explain to you the law of the jungle. You want to run with the wolves, you got to kill a few lambs. So which one are you going to be? Fine gunnuts. Yes, what I'm talking about. TPing his house and... Yeah, I mean, they're, the, they're, they're kind of irrational, you know, and I, and for some of us, this triggers memories, right, of, of knowing these people, but this kind of irrational focus on this poor kid, right, who, um, you know, for whatever reason, and they just, I mean, they wreak havoc, right, on his house, on his, on him, um, you know. On his mother's grave? On his mother's grave, right? I mean, like, it, it, it just doesn't you know, it doesn't get more horrible unless they had killed the kid. I mean, it was like everything, but it was, it's excruciating. It is painful to watch. It's painful to watch. And you also see that Corey's participating, but not really. But the, the big, the big thing that happens is that, you know, Jenko's like has to pass to assert his authority. He's like, Hey, look what I found, found a big dead bird. <laughs> do it, do it. You know, you want to do it. So Corey's like, all right, chucks the bird at the house at the window, right in front of his, his old friend's face. And that right. is the trigger for the rest of the movie. Yeah. You're probably wondering when does this get supernatural? What's well, about to. The teens go off to party in this. A lot of the stuff that we talked, a lot of, a lot of what we're talking about dreams and stuff and, you know, trying to get out. Ding dong. Patrick from the future here. Just adding a bit of clarification here. So this whole scene in the graveyard is pretty much exactly what Jenko promised it's going to be. It's tits at the tower. They're getting drunk. They're getting high. They're doing whippets. And they're trying to score with whatever girl they managed to get to the graveyard tonight. But the important thing that's happening is that Corey is not having the fun that he's supposed to be having as a wolf. And he pulls himself away from the party for a bit, just watching from a distance, which is when we get to meet Romany. And Romany delivers some hard truths. You know, you're a much nicer guy when you're not around them. We all do shit to fit in. Is it worth it? Just because they're good with the soda stream doesn't make them amigos para siempre. How about you back off my mates? These guys don't get you. Mm. We're teenagers. Nobody gets us. It's half the fun. No. Everyone has somebody who understands them. 
You're not the only one who wants out of this town, you know. Who said I want out? Got everything I need right here. Weed to smoke, bags to bash, bitches to... Fuck. Now, what I love about this scene is that Corey is so invested in being this wolf persona that he's not, that he's built up this armor, this tough guy armor that he can't let slip. And that armor can't let anything that Roman is saying get through. And my favorite moment of this is when he tries to use Jenko's uh, Jenko's catchphrase, fags to bash, weed to smoke, bitches to fuck. And it totally fails. Like it comes out of his mouth and he just knows it's not him. And he also sees what it did to her. We just got a little glimpse of the lamb hiding behind the wolf's costume. Back to the show. What ha- I'm trying to remember what happens that, that gets Corey pissed off that he leaves and leaves his camera behind. I'm trying to remember it too. Ding dong, clarification, Patrick. Again, the reason Pastor Ben and I can't remember why Corey storms off is because we've already talked about it. Right after this moment, right after Corey indirectly calls Romany a bitch is when Janko pops up with that big smile to take advantage of the situation because he realizes that his 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 ride or die has been off by himself for way too long with a girl. Comes up and offers the joint. Corey says no, but Romany says yes. And instead of handing her the joint, he decides to shotgun it to her, which is the kiss that Pastor Ben was referring to before. It's not really a kiss. You can't get mad at me. We're just shotgunning the, the pot. But... It's also a kiss because when she leaves and Corey gets mad, Jenko says, hey, sorry, bud. And he holds a goal. I think it's the embarrassment of thinking that he's fucked things up with Romany, the frustration that the night's not going the way he wants, and his growing anger at Jenko that makes Corey leave the graveyard but leaves his camera behind. Corey has had enough. He's had enough of the Halloween games. Right. He had enough of being cool. He's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm out of here. Screw you guys. Goes off to the, uh, the skate park where he sees this little lone figure in the red hooded sweatshirt, little red riding hood, who's going to be lost, who's lost in the woods. <laughs> this poor little Jonah. Yeah. And I, I have to say, this movie also seems to have chosen its names carefully. Like I said, Romany seems to be a conscious choice. Corey even seems to be a conscious choice. If you want to go for the um, 90s reference, he's the Corey's. <laughs> he's the cool kid that everybody mm-hmm. wants to be. And then we have Jonah. What, what, what might be the significance of the name Jonah, Pastor Ben? <laughs> we all, of course, know because we've all read our Bibles diligently. Uh, Jonah is is the reluctant prophet um, of the Old Testament. Um, and most of us know him because he was swallowed by a great fish. Um, and so the story of Jonah and the whale um, is the cartoonized version of the Jonah story. Uh, it's It's much more serious than that, of course. Um, it's about a man who attempts to defy God, essentially, and gets swallowed up by the whale um, so he can redirect his life, right, and go where God wants him to go, uh, and so becomes a prophet, therefore. So, um, yeah, the name Jonah is a a theologically substantial name. And there's lots of ways to go with this because this, this character is in the belly of the beast right now. Yeah. Right. And I mean, he has the sort of after after the the second interaction, when Corey finds him in the skate park, which starts out, I thought that was going to be a, a, a scary scene because it looked scary, like the kid in the red with the glowing mask and all that stuff. Right. Um, and uh, so when he sees them that time, that's when Jonah sort of starts this. I would call him kind of a reluctant guide. 
Hi, clarification, Patrick, again. So in the scene that we're about to hear, Corey has left the group at the cemetery. He's come to the skate park alone and finds Jonah skating there. When Jonah sees him, he's so surprised that he falls off his skateboard, breaks his skateboard, and hits his head. Why can't you assholes leave me alone? You don't own the park. Shouldn't you be with your wolves gangbanging some mental defective from the drama class? (laughs) At least I got mates. Yeah, and I'm sure they're awesome once you get to know them. Yeah, they are. Then why are you here? Hmm. Oh, you're bleeding. Jonah touches the back of his head, sees the blood on his fingers, and collapses to the ground. Oh! Oh, shit. Corey is concerned. Corey is trying to get him to respond. Jonah's not responding. Corey is about to give Jonah CPR when... Gullible. Oh, you fucker. <laughs> and then you wonder why nobody likes you. Got anything to eat? Do I look like a server? Must have scored trick-or-treating. It's kids stuff, man. We're kids. Well, you may be. Right. I forgot, Grams. That's why you're dressed as Team Wolf. And what are you supposed to be? Your mum? Ah, what? Jonah, hey. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It wasn't cool. You can hit me if you want. On free hit, any way you want. Walk me home. Huh? I'm not going to hit you. You're going to walk me home instead. Get fucked. I'm not going anywhere with you. Maybe I have a concussion. Maybe I'll get lost. Maybe I'll fall and never wake up. Or maybe you owe me, old pal. Because you can tell that there's this longing in him, right, to take this journey. Um, but he he pauses so many times along the way, right, and and sort of doesn't want to do it, right? Um, and so he is kind of a little reluctant prophet. He's right? already been hurt by this person so badly. Right, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to do this either. And I, I suspect, you know, he probably doesn't want to have to face the same things either. No, no. The spiritual layers of this film are remarkable. Yes. Um, frankly. Very much so. Um, That's yeah. why I wanted you for, to talk about this movie because <laughs> I could go on and on and on. But uh, I could have a concussion. Yes. I, I could die. You owe me. So that's yeah, it. And remember, remember the hitting of the head. It's important. <laughs> yeah. It was a weird scene, right? Because, because then he plays his little joke, right? And pretends that he's dead. And then Corey starts CPR. It's not, right? Like, so, uh, oh, surprise. Almost kisses him. Almost, yeah. Um, Kiss of life, uh, but yeah. yeah. So there's, there's that tension there, but still. Yeah. But it's just fun to see that Jonah having this kind of in control of the scene in a way that he wasn't the last time we saw him that even though he's this, he's this lost figure that just hit his head and he's vulnerable. He's I have something to do here. I have something to show you. And one way or another, we're going to do this. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. I mean, he has the sort of, um, he, he has the kind of sort of resolve. Part of the thing is like, as, as they journey on for reasons, you know, I, that I, I guess we may or may not reveal, um, you know, Jonah, Jonah is functioning as this sort of, he has the wisdom that all bullied little kids have this sort of sense of reality that we shouldn't have, 
um, and this sense of the cruelty of the world that we don't deserve, right? Um, and he speaks with that wisdom, right? That that kind of depth. And you know, all great prophets are suffering servants, right? They're they they're always broken in some way. And so he kind of represents that that sort of broken yet somehow courageous um voice right that says no we got to do this right we got to we got to keep going and and sort of you know because he's not a kid anymore right he becomes a spiritual figure right well yes that's the other thing that i meant to say about the movie is that it is a coming of age story everything about this is about being on that line between right. child or you know b- b- boy and man because this is specifically about men there's one woman in this whole story it's very right. this is very much about boys becoming men um you know everything from the 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 this, this group breaking up to the last day of school to the, this last walk home and all this stuff. And this, this last walk home when this, where Joda's proposing that they play the game that they used to play. Notice where we are. A bridge. Not just any bridge. The bridge over Kokaitis. The veils are thin. And once we cross, we leave the mortal realm. Once we cross, we leave the mortal realm. And enter the world of enchantment where we see things as they really are. The dreams are true. Stories too. I missed that game. Everything was simpler then. And boring. Boring. We saw zombies and ghosts and werewolves. I was never bored. It's just a stupid game. It was kids trying to spook each other with a bunch of fairy tales and chicken shit dares. Well, let's play again. Not kids anymore. Not grown-ups either. Not yet. Everything in his tone is saying, no, no, no. You could throw as much of this bravado at me as you want. But I know who you are. Right. I know who you were because we used to be friends. Yeah. I knew you before all of this other stuff came in and I know who you are at your core. And so if you have any respect for that, you're going to play this damn game with me because I know you want to. Right. Because I know who you are. Tell me about the game that they used to play on their long walks home at night through the woods. Right. So the, the game is, and actually I, if I can have a, a moment of personal indulgence, because as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, um, the friendship that they have, right? The friendship that starts and then breaks, um, I think is such a, it's an, it's another common experience, right? For kids like him and, and like us, right? Um, and, and it brought me back. To, I used to have this close friend called Trevor. I loved Trevor. Um, and I'm pretty sure he's probably the first person I loved, right? Um, but it was during that coming of age period, right? And so when we went to junior high, we we parted ways, right? Because Trevor became, um, you know, uh, popular in his own right, and I was not. And um, and you know, I found out a few years ago that he had died of a drug overdose. Um, and I thought, you know, what I wouldn't give, right, to have maybe imposed upon that friendship to help in that moment, right, um, or to be there in that moment, and you know, how much that person meant to me, um, despite that separation and that sort of, you know, the way life parts that way. Um, and so there is that kind of tragic 
um, romantic um, thing that goes on here. And, you know, it gets it kind of reaches it's it's this this mini climax right as they're about to play this game. Right. Um, And so Kokaitis, um, which if you also looked up as a fascinating name also, um, uh, you know, it was this game they play where once they cross the bridge, the bridge to Kokaitis, um, it's sort of like a um, everything is possible, right? This is the world where uh, we see things as they really are, right? Where dreams are true and stories are true. And, um, and you, you live, you live, right? Uh, you live in this way where you sort of live into the part of yourself that is imagination and fun and play and all that stuff that we sacrifice um, to the cynicism of adulthood. But, um, and so you play this game and the idea of it is that scary things are fun, right? Um, because he actually laments the idea that as you grow older, scary things aren't fun anymore, right? Um, and so you got to go. You, you got to go from the bridge home, right? The game ends when you get home, um, but basically, every dare is on the table along the way. You know, every spook, every um, you know, every possibility, every dream, uh, you know, that 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 could come true comes true, right? So the journey is not simply from point A to point B, right? It's it's through this complex, interwoven sort of maze of of self examination in parables, no. right? No kids anymore. No grown-ups either. Not yet. And besides, I have something to show you. <laughs> Believe me, there's nothing you could show me that I'd possibly give a shit about. Are you sure about that? Your head still hurt? Excruciating. This thing that you wanted to show me, it better blow my mind, all right? It's a promise. This is just for tonight. Don't think as we're talking, we're friends. I wouldn't dream of it. And remember the rules. Game is over till we get home. No wimping out midway through, I know. And the only rule is the thing that struck me this last time through and really, really hit home was that, um, God, I need so many tissues to get through this movie is that, um, the game doesn't stop until we get home. Right. And it hit me this time through that none of them, that when this game starts, they don't, their hope, they they don't have homes when this movie, their home is completely different. Once they start this game, what they think is home is no longer their home for both of them in different ways. And they don't know neither one of them. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, Kokaitis, which I think is fun, is also the name of one of the rivers that surround Hades. Right. The River of Wailing. Yeah, I was going to say, yes, it means lamentation. <laughs> Whales don't live in rivers, Pastor Ben. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, the, the the beast they have been swallowed by is much more significant than a whale. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and I love it just. Start so and I just love the to the first step they 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 take it they take off the bridge like and here we are Kakaitis glitter comes up out of the dirt I'm like that's so yes. good yes ready to cross you're on I 
right. that love yeah. that love that just simple <laughs> simple magic tricks i'm like yep we're in another world right now and we don't know the rules which is fun i don't really go through all the stories but some of them is, is significant like particularly this first one the the, the story of the tunnel hmm. since it comes back later once that was once there was not a girl called Jeannie who was afraid of the dark. She played Kokaitis too with her older sister. In her fantasy, they were princesses living in a castle far, far away. Two dreamers united against the world, waiting for their lives to begin. And one day, the knights came. But they weren't valiant or brave. And though they were pretty, the girls weren't wise. For wolves may lurk in any guise. But while the girls were pretty, they weren't wise. For wolves can come in any guise. <laughs> right. And I love I love all this stuff they did repeatedly throughout the movie with the wolf stuff, like where just some teenage boy and all of a sudden you just see that little glint of yellow in their eyes. <laughs> subtle, subtle stuff. Really, yeah, the subtlety is probably a great description of this whole movie. It's it's very subtle and not at the same time. And not because it can't be because it can't be well, or it's misleading like this first story. I think, OK, so it's about and the little the little one was trying to keep up and she was trying to keep up with her, her sister who ran off with the boys and she got lost in the tunnel and she's still there. She didn't want to be left behind. So she followed But the distance between them grew and grew until she could barely see her sister anymore. While Jeannie was afraid of the dark, she was more scared of being left behind. But Jeannie didn't know that there are some dark places one should never walk alone. For tunnels can be longer than they appear. And there are things in this world we don't read about in storybooks. Not everyone can survive the dark. She doesn't know she's dead. And if you light a match in the tunnel, she'll scream because she suddenly realizes that she's dead. You're like, right. oh, okay, well, all right, that was spooky, but there's no payoff to it because it's coming later. Does she die? Can't have a good story without a dead body. Now she's just another lonely ghost haunting these tunnels. The saddest part. She doesn't even know she's dead. Ghosts, huh? Suppose you believe in the tooth fairy too. Light a match. Only when she sees light does she realize she's dead. And a scream will stay with you to the day you die. You're tripping. Bite it. You're retarded. You're scared. <laughs> At least I'm not the only one. And, and I mean, it's the whole thing is, I mean, if you think you're going to, you're entering the labyrinth, uh, that's not what this is, right? You are entering the dark night of the soul, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of where we are here. Uh, but done remarkably uh, beautifully, right? Yeah. Uh, the story that really resonated for me are the wolves in the walls at the school. Yes, 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 yes. What, what do you do about the wolves in the walls, Patrick? Everyone notices different things. Some notice the moment you change your hair. Others always notice what shoes you're wearing. 
I noticed them change. It was the smell I noticed first. The stench of twisting, multiplying hormones. It always preceded them. No amount of cheap Safeway deodorant could cover that odor. I saw skin disappear beneath unwelcome hair. Voices deepen into growls, like a virus had spread. And once that toxin poisons you, you're capable of doing things you never thought you'd do. All in the name of survival. No matter where you hide, they sniff you out. Those that didn't change. Those that were left behind. Those that didn't have the taste for blood. There was only one thing you could do. that resonated so much with me because I could pinpoint that moment in my, my own growth where I suddenly realized something's changed. Everybody is different now. Yeah. Did I change or did they, it was like they could smell something different on me. Like yeah. you hit puberty and they suddenly realized there's something different about him. Yeah. That, that kind of guttural um, sensory description of puberty. Right. Um, about the smell of, yeah. you know, yeah, of, of, I forget what the smell was of, but, um, you know, that, that it was unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I remember that like people that I, boys, let me get very specific boys who I were, was friends with one day, the next day I suddenly was not. And I didn't know why yeah. well, like one yeah. day we were friends the next day I'm being hunted by a pack of them through the, right. through the school halls. And they created this with werewolves and it's so well done. Like the shadow work in the scene is so wonderful. The, the, the wolf shadows pouncing on yeah, real yeah, life. Yeah, life. Right. yeah. But that one really resonated with me. I said, I've lived that story and I don't like that story, but that story is true. You know, you, you kind of want to say, Oh, well, this is a movie about bullying. Right. But um, it's not, I mean, it is, but it's not, I mean, it's, this is probably the single most honest depiction of what it's like. And to to feel what it what it feels like to be bullied, right? What it feels like to have that experience that I've ever seen. Um, and you know, because I'm going to tell you, Patrick, I cry in this movie too, and I never cry in movies. So, <laughs> uh, but it 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 gets into places that even we probably stopped exploring a long time ago. Oh yeah. I, I mean, it definitely delves into the male psychology because like, it doesn't even it doesn't even say that this is wrong. What happens that these boys turn into wolves? It's just what happens. That, yeah, OK, they do smell something different on you. Right. Because there is something different about you. And this is how it goes. And you'll be stronger right. for it or you'll die, which, but, which or they'll which catch I, you and you'll die. So which I had actually jotted down because I was making note of where I saw sort of spiritual layers. Right. And, and things that I wanted to talk about in that realm. And this idea of. Um, th this is, th this has been my, my fight against violence, uh, you know, in ministry all the time is the idea that we accept 
that this stuff is normal, right? That this is the way things are supposed to be. Um, and so Corey has accepted, right, that this is the, the culture, this is the structure, this is the world I have to survive in, uh, and this is what it takes to do that, right? Um, and so we, we enter the space of normalized homophobic violence, right, where nobody really bats an eye at it, not even the victim, right? That is so fundamentally in conflict uh, with my my Christian understanding of what God created us to be, right? Um, and so, you know, it begins the real moral struggle, right? Which is between the love, the love that is truly divine, right? That altruistic love, that forgiving love, that um, that healing love, um, and and the world, right? Uh, it, at its sort of epic, this epic choice, right? You can love this way. Um, or you can love in the human way, right? That has restrictions and requires you to hate other things, right? Um, and so to me, that was one of the fundamental um, sort of soul battles, right? That's going on here is the choice between these worlds and what those worlds represent. And while this particular story is being told, while they're, while they're in the halls of their old school, the, the real life wolf pack has shown up and is hunting right. them. Yes. Um, and... Corey makes his first real break. It's like, you know what? Nope, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to scare them instead. Yeah, which was I'm I'm fun, a wolf. Yeah, yeah right. I'm a wolf. I can protect you. And he does. And it's a wonderful thing. The other story I want to talk about is the, is the one, one about Edwin. Edwin yeah. Boo Radley. Right. Yeah. Um, tell me about Edwin. That story shook me up. Um, and so, uh, you know, is it Edwin or Edward? I can't remember which one it was, but anyway. I wrote Edwin, but we'll call him Eddie. We'll call him Ed, yeah. So Ed, uh, they talk about Ed as a 10-year-old, um, right, who is who has all these big dreams and, you know, wants to do all these great things, uh, but begins to settle into um, his sort of adult life without dreams, right? Mm -hmm. And so then we learn sort of the the heritage of these little darkling things, right? Uh, which are when you don't live your dreams and you put them in a box, which is the visual, right? Boxing them away. I, I love this phrase. They become resentful. Um, and their resentfulness turns them into these little entities, which I'm still not quite sure what they were looked like, except they're shadowy and weird, uh, you know, um, and so Edward becomes a victim of his dreams resentment um, and can never see again. Yep. And it's sort of like a zombie. Well, not a zombie, but they're, you know, plopped in front of the TV, staring into nothingness forever. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Yep. And what I loved here is the way the story is told. Edward's dreams were so big. They were like universes unfolding forever. In Edward's world, a paper plane could be a turbojet fighting the forces of darkness. The trees were allies, hiding you in their branches. And Edward ruled it all from his island base. And then, one summer's day, Edward made a promise. Here, in the presence of the masters of the universe, the sea monkeys and the galactic army, he swore an oath to follow his dreams. 
no matter how ridiculous, to explore the shadows, no matter how scary. And his vow was heard. Edwin made a pledge in front of the masters of the universe and the sea monkeys. Go, and all, yeah. and, and, and all of his toys that he would he would explore every dark corner, no matter how scary, and he <laughs> would live every dream, no matter how stupid. And then the gods heard his plea and were pleased. Yes, 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 yes. Right. So you don't only have resentful dreams, you've angered the gods, little boy. You made right. a pledge. You promised us. And, you know, gods don't like it when they get double, you know, double belt. No, that's it. Things get Old Testament. And the Darklings, uh, uh, the uh, the other movie, the short film that Nicholas Verso made called The uh, the Last Time I Saw Richard is almost a companion piece to this. It's about Jonah, but it's played by the guy who played Corey. And it does feature a lot of the same elements, the Darklings. We get to learn more about them. And so it's worth checking out, but I, I don't want to go too far into that. But I just want to say that if you want to know more about the Darklings, Pastor Ben, check out The Last Time I Saw Richard. No, I realize I'm being a horrible storyteller because I know the listeners are out there going, Patrick, what are the Darklings? The Darklings. Okay, remember what I was just saying, how this little boy has broken a promise to the gods, but it's actually not the wrath of the gods that he has to worry about. It's the wrath of all of those dreams that he's put in a box and hid in the attic and just forgotten about. They haven't forgotten about him. And they've, as Pastor Ben said, have grown resentful over time and have become these darkling little gremlin-y monsters. And the more time goes by, the more darklings there are because the more dreams you've left behind. And one day when you've got absolutely no dreams left and you're just staring blankly into the television night after night after night, they're going to come for you. But yeah, all these stories don't really resolve. So you're like, okay, but let's go on. We'll just keep on walking to the next thing, the next thing. No, which I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's part of the power, right? I mean, an un, an unfinished story has a certain power, right? Because your brain starts to finish it, um, you know? And so that story, I think probably upset me the most actually. Um, and you know, it, it, how is it supposed to end? I mean, like, you know, like, you know, well, it, what is the resolution? I mean, it, uh, Corey has his come to Jesus moment. Realize, oh, that story's about me too. Right. And at a certain yeah, point, yeah, yeah. he he was at he was at somebody's house and he was picking towards the end of the movie, and he saw his dad. Corey sees his dad sitting yeah, there in front of the right. TV with the blank with the with the with the with the static going, and then he's looking down the street and it's just another house like that, and another house, and another house, and another house. That story wasn't about Edwin. It's about me. It's about my father. It's about everybody in this town. Right. You live yeah. in a town of broken dreams and you have a choice now. You can go to you can go to college and try photography and maybe fail or you could be another you could be another Edwin staring at the screen for the rest of your life haunted well, and, by the dreams that you put in a box. And they I mean to me they they became um these symbolic I don't I don't want to get too far into the to the weeds, but I mean, you know, uh, I'm a huge fan of John of the Cross's Dark Knight of the Soul, right? And the idea is the darkness according to John of the Cross, is not the inability, it, it's the inability to see in the sense that something is obscured, right? It's called obscura. Um, and so what we're looking at are these people um, who have, I, I think he says something about blacking out their dreams, right? They black them out because they don't want to deal with them anymore. 
Um, and so they become obscured, right? They become these sort of willfully blind people. Um, and the difference between them and the two kids is they're taking the actual dark night journey that you're supposed to take, um, walking through it, not boxing it up in the attic um, to get to a better sort of spiritual plane uh, in the in the Christian or spiritual sense. Uh, but in their case, you know, to gain true understanding, um, which is ultimately right, it's it's. It's ultimately revelation, understanding, self-awareness that gives us the strength to leave these places, right? Um, and to walk back into the light, uh, so to speak. But um, and so it's again, I mean, this is this is like teenage Canterbury Tales. I mean, everyone is just like this rich uh, spiritual meat, right? It's just good stuff. On first watch, you might say, okay, all these stories seem to have one thing in common. They all seem to be about saving Corey. And I think I started to get a little annoyed the first time there. I'm like, are we going to have another, just another magical gay character who's just there to, you know, uh, supplant all the needs and the wants and the desires of the gay, of the straight person, and then just flip back into magic obscurity. But on frequent watches, I realized, okay, it's, they really both need saving here, but one doesn't know it. One thinks he's saving the other and doesn't. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, um, because yeah, because we're going this this whole journey. Like if we have we have certain points where we break off, and Corey's like, "I'm going to go see Romany." Romany, yeah, at her graveyard shift at the at the at the uh, supermarket where they have some some heartfelt discussions where we talked uh, talked about earlier. You know, in some places it snows on Halloween. You like snow? I've never seen it. That's why I'm saving up for my slave wage from this dump. So I can fly away to Canada. Get a log cabin. It snows most of the year there. The rivers are so frozen you can skate on them. It snows quite a bit in New York too. You're going to go, aren't you? She has that wonderful speech where the title comes from. It's like, I would just, I'm so tired of waiting for you boys to grow up right. and notice me. I guess sometimes you don't realize who you've left behind. Or who's right in front of you. Yeah. Maybe. Or maybe you could get out of your fucking diapers for once. You think you're frustrated here? Try living in the same world in a skirt, surrounded by a bunch of babies who don't even notice you. Why can't you guys just grow up? Girls do, we just stand here, waiting while you guys are stuck with your heads in the trees. Just because I didn't thank you for the sloppy? I don't know. Ow! I'm standing right here, but you always got your heads up in the trees. You're always off climbing trees somewhere. Grow up. Yeah, she was. Um, uh, first of all, I was I was very thankful uh, that she gave us the reason for the title. Right. Um, and because uh, at first I was, you know, I was a little mystified by that. Um, and then I, I kind of she did. You know, you got your head in the clouds. Right. You people, you can't see anything because you're always, you know, um, in this place or whatever. But um, yeah, she's. And well, and of course it goes downhill from there. But yeah, and then it all seems to be like, okay, and now we're going to get set up a relationship with them. And now he's, he decides, okay, I'm going to go to school 
in New York and you're going to go to Toronto. We're going to inspire each other and everything's going to be great. And I'm thinking, okay, what about the kid you've literally left outside? Yeah. Or Jonah's just out the window all these time. Again. Yeah. Been shut out. And I think, okay, I think we're at the point where I cannot go any further with this movie without spoiling major things about the ending. So if you haven't seen it, I recommend you go check it out now. Um, it's a powerful film. It's worth a rental. You will love it. We'll give you 10 seconds and we'll be back. The thing I love about this final reveal, Pastor Ben, is that it's not a twist. Mm. The movie's telling you the whole time exactly what's happened, that Jonah has been dead this whole time. Yeah, and again, that's you know, that's another reason the costumes became such a focus, right? Because uh, you start to recognize that he's dressed in the same costume, essentially, uh, just like Corey is, right? Um, and what I liked about it in this case was because usually, you know, a reveal that says, oh, this guy's been dead the whole time. You think, well, yeah, yeah, I saw that coming 300 miles away. Um, it was that even if you saw it coming 300 miles away, that none of that mattered. Right. Um, because it was the creeping suspicion that he was dead. That was really the horror, right. That we were going through. Uh huh. And there's also something to it. The way it's set up is that, and the way it's, even the characters seem to know it on some level. Yeah. They seem to know it on some level, but there comes that point where after uh, Corey has, has had that wonderful balcony scene where it snows on Halloween, which is summer in Australia. Right. <laughs> Are you trying to kill yourself? You'll fall. When people aren't really scared of falling. I'm scared of jumping. I'm scared my dad will kill you. What are you doing here? Is your face okay? Yeah, yeah. I just thought you might want some snow on Halloween. That stuff's toxic. So? It'll give you cancer. It's worth it. I'm fine. Go back to bed. You should go. One more thing. I owe you an apology. I've been a real dick tonight. Just tonight? Maybe for a while. But I did notice you. And sometimes the boys just climb the trees to get a better look at the view. And what I love about the scene that follows after they go inside off the balcony is that this is when Romany gets the idea that, hey, you want to go to photography school in New York. I want to go to Canada and study what I'm going to study there. Why don't we do this together? In another movie, they would have gone off to study in the same city. But no, 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 no. She actually says that would be a bad idea, that we should get out of this town together. We get the fuck out of here. I'll chase my dreams where I want. You chase your dreams where you want. Nobody has to compromise and we'll meet somewhere better later on. I guess you go back to the Company of Wolves. And I get to escape to the wilds of Canada. Unless. Unless. I don't know for sure, but 
I imagine there's some pretty good photography courses in Canada. Well, there would be a lot of beautiful things that I capture. Do you really want me to come? Sometimes it's just easier to live your dream if you have someone to share it with. And maybe you don't come to Canada, but <laughs> we can make sure we both get out of here. What, if, if I live my dream, you'll live yours? Yeah. Want to swear? Show, motherfucker. No, I mean it. Let's do this. And if you go back on this, I will come at you in the black, black of some, some terrible, terrible night. night. And I'll bring a pointy reckoning that will shut you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm through with breaking promises. You better be, young man. Because that wasn't just a promise, it was a pledge. And much like Edward, I'm pretty sure the gods or the sea monkeys or the master of the universe, they heard that too. How do I know that? Because it's snowing on Halloween in Australia. You got yourself a little miracle right there. And oh boy, they'll be pissed off. Anyway, we're technically his story's over. He's home now. And I'm not talking about the house where he lives home. For the first time in his life, there is a possibility that his future home will not be in this town with these people, with his family. And Jonah's no longer needed, and he's just kind of left to drift. Over this long walk home, the stories that they're both telling each other start to become less and less fables and parables about other people. They become Corey stories. They become moments where Corey says, oh, hey, I got to step out of Kokitis for a bit and fix something in real time. Where he stops the storytelling to go to the Quickie Mart to see Romany. And again, for this balcony scene. It's him taking step forwards in his story, but Jonah is not getting the same treatment. Jonah is getting more and more left out. Jonah has to stand outside of the Quickie Mart. He's peeking in the windows like, like you see little British shop children do in a Christmas carol at the bakery store. But he's just watching and waiting for me outside. And my first time through the movie, I got angry at it. I said, why are we excluding the queer character from getting a happy ending to his story? But on repeated watches, I've started to discover, oh, the reason Jonah is being left out of the story is because his story's over. Tonight, Corey's learning that his life is just beginning. But at the same time, Jonah is starting to clue in his life is over. And even though the movie has been giving us these subtle clues the whole time, when we find out, it was devastating. There's something about the reveal that I knew, like I knew a long time. I, part of me saying, I think he's dead. I think he's dead. Please don't let him be dead. Please don't let him be dead. Please yeah. don't let him be dead. Like I went through all the stages of grief, like before the reveal. Like, Please don't let him be dead. No, the, the movie even like said, well, maybe we can save him. Right. David said to that moment, like there's a, he has a funeral. He has a funeral. There is a Deus, uh, Dia de los um, Muertos funeral for Corey in the movie, which is saying this boy is dead, but still it's important. Going, wait, but, but, but wait, maybe we can get him out of this. And the movie sets you up that, oh, if we keep running, if we go hide in the trees and we'll be friends again, then our friendship can save them. No, this boy's been dead all day, baby. He's long gone. Yeah. When I saw his picture on that altar, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it was, and I was like you, I knew this. I knew it. I just didn't want to know it, right? I didn't want it to be true. Um, because, you know, if it was true, then it was devastating. It was devastating. It was devastating. Yeah. But the, the, the movie even plays it because then there's a whole scene where they're running away from the darklings and they go hide in the trees and they're getting away with it. And we still think everything's going to be okay. Right. <laughs> they had their whole 
big resolutions here because this whole thing seems to be boiling about what happened on Halloween a long time ago, another year that they were dressed as a wolf and a ghost. Ben, what happened a long time ago in that dark tunnel? So they go into this tunnel, right? And already we know the tunnel has, is kind of a scary place, right? And so at their age, bullies arrive in the tunnel. Um, and so, of course, we're expecting, you know, this some bashing to ensue. Um, but what occurs is Jonah is raped um, and Corey happens to escape uh, and runs away um, and doesn't help Jonah. My best friend. Why did we leave all this behind? We needed more. Did you? Do you remember that day? Like it was yesterday. It kind of was. Since we kept it so close. Since Halloween then too. All dressed up. Still had my first camera. Don't make it too real. It was getting late. It isn't midnight when young boys turn into pumpkins. It's when the street lights turn on. It was a bad idea. The boys knew that from the start, but nobody wants to be the one left behind. Even though tunnels can be longer than they appear, There are things in this world we don't read about in storybooks. Wolves may lurk in any guise, and only in the dark do we learn how far we'll go to survive, even if it means running as fast as you can and leaving behind everything you value. When that reveal happens, I mean, I'm so I think that just made everything different. Right? Like, I mean, like it was it was like the revelation, right? That comes out of the. It was painful to watch. It was painful to anticipate. It was painful to think about once it was over, and yet, it is sort of this culminating moment that brings all of this into focus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that first story suddenly makes sense now. Right. Oh, you made it two princesses because it was too too scary to tell it the way it is. Yeah. And 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 that's when you get the glimpse, right? This is also Jonah's struggle with truth, right? Mm-hmm. Is facing this uh in this way. Um and yeah, oh it was really, really devastating. But they still have this come this coming together moment where they escape the darklings and they they do that one that wonderful scene where they're in the tree the tree that's like right, their whole relationship yeah. it's like it's all their toys and all their games and, and Rex is back Rex is yeah. Rex the dog is alive again and everything's going to be okay we're safe in <sighs> here because we're together and we can change the ending of what happened a long time ago but we can't yeah I love when when uh, Corey proposes that new ending is it getting cold I think so. We have to go home eventually. Then the game will be over. What would happen if we change the ending? What ending? 
to the story in the drain. What if I... What if he stayed? He left. Maybe he didn't. Maybe it just seemed like he did. And as he was walking away, he turned back. Because he realized who his real friend was. Because together they could do anything. They could cross the bridge to Kakaitis, they could outwit the Darklings, they could outrun the wolves. Why couldn't they defeat two bullies? And then? And then they lived their dreams like they promised each other. That's what should have happened. I like that ending. But that's not what happened. I'm ready to show you now. We can make that happen. Of course, like, I, just yeah. like I, I like that ending, but yeah, that's not what happened. And, 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 I and, ha- and yeah, that moment too. I mean, I was bawling my eyes out. Um, you know, as he was saying these, you know, I just want that to be the ending. Like, I like that ending, right? Um, and I just thought, how many times, right, have we thought? I wanted it to be this way. Like, I, I just wish it could be this way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to be confronted with the idea that you can't change it, right? You can't make the ending different. Um, no. Yeah. And the fact that even with Jonas' reveal about this story, about what happened, there's not even any blame in it. It's like you did what you needed to do. Yeah. We, we, there's a whole line. It's like, it's like only in the dark do we learn how far we'll go to survive. And what you needed to do to survive was to get the hell out of here and never talk to me again. Right. And maybe that's why those bullies are so particularly rough on Jonah, because they all know. They all know what happened to him in that tunnel. Everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows that Corey was there. Doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it, it's such a quick moment, right? And it's all the moments in this movie are open-ended, right? I mean, it, it sort of leaves you wondering, like, you know, um, and in this case, of course, then they show you the progression of the relationship being torn apart by this, right? The That thing, which is which seemed more to me about Corey's shame um, yeah. than Jonah's pain, right? Yeah. Um, so, which adds, I think, there's a remarkably confessional element to this journey. But yeah, when we first started this journey, way back before we stepped foot in Kokaitis, Jonah said, "I've got something I want to show you." Yeah, yeah I show you. It's gonna, it's gonna blow your mind. And I had kind of forgotten that he had said that until he says it again. I'm ready to yeah. show you. I'm ready right. to show you now. And the thing is, we've already been to Jonah's house. Like, it, the, like the, he, he goes to Jonah's house and banging on the door looking for Jonah. And Jonah's not there. Jonah's in the tunnel. Right. Jonah's hiding in the tunnel like the ghost of Jeannie, waiting for somebody to come with the light to remind him that he's dead. <laughs> right. And is, is that is, she makes her is that when she makes her little jump scare appearance? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but, but it's him. But it's him. It's just him. Yeah. That was me. That was me. That right. was me. That was me. I did that. Yeah. I'm Jeannie. Okay, I'm, I'm the little princess. All right, they got left behind. Right, but yeah, he's been dead the whole movie. He, uh, there, there's, there's, they, we even see it happen. We see it happen, and we don't read. It doesn't register. Um, it's after that that he, Corey throws that dead bird. That's the final break that that right. sends Jonah off on a drinking binge. He steals a bottle of whatever and goes walking down by this old pond thing, hopping around on rocks, and oops, he fell and he hit his head and he drowned. He's been dead all day. 
this is where we say goodbye. This where you live now, homie. You're a real mature smartass. <laughs> Thought you were in a hurry to grow up. Ah, uh, maybe I was a bit hasty on that one. Good to hear it. I'm sorry. For leaving. You know, tonight, kind of made up for the rest of it. <laughs> Turn around. Jonah. Hey, Jonah. hit his head in the same way he, you know, he hit his head in their first encounter uh, in the skate park after the, it, the bullying incident. Right. And all of this is just so it's, I mean, we've known the whole time. I mean, part of us have known we've part at some level we knew, and it just doesn't make it any better. And, well, it's it, all this- it, it, and I think, you know, the focus kind of shifts then, right? Because now it's not about wondering if Jonah's dead right now. It's, it's wondering about what that means, right? Like what, what is going to, and at no point did I weep more um, in this film uh, than when Corey says, I'm sorry for leaving. And to me, that was sort of this, that was the confession, right? Um, and that begins what is ultimately the resolution of this film, right? Uh, it's, this is the truth. This yeah. happened. I'm sorry, right? Uh, and, 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 and I know we can, we can make that, we can, we can think glibly of that, but how willing are we to say that? Right. I'm sorry. Right. I changed the trajectory of your life for the worse and I'm sorry. And this also with things that I have to weigh into it too, like the, the underlying thing is you got this enormous gift this boy came back from the dead to save you. Right. That's how much he loved you. Yeah. And what and the musical theater guy in me would be neglectful to point out that what was Jonah's mother's favorite song that she was always playing him? Oh, I don't remember. It's You'll Never Walk Alone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll ne- yeah, right. From Carousel. When my dog died, he knew. Went off behind the rubbish chip at the back of the yard. It took us like three days to find him. <laughs> My mum knew. She was always worried because she had me late, that she wouldn't always be around. That's why she always used to tell stories about fantasy lands where I'd be safe. It's one way to survive, I guess. Is that why she always played that song? You remember that? I 
When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high. <laughs> you shouldn't sing. <laughs> Bullshit anyway. You'll never walk alone. I'd rather be alone. Don't want to rely on be yourself. Don't want to drag you down. Nobody to have you back either. I remember this exhibition at the museum. There was a quote Man is by nature a social animal. Anyone who does not partake of society is either a beast or a god. Django would say you're a little lamb. At least I'm not a beast. Can you say the same? Dances with wolves. Which is about <laughs> Billy Bigelow, a bad man who gets to come back from the dead for one day to try to fix his mistakes. And that's the song that his wife sings him as he's dying. You'll never walk alone. Yeah, because they have a little conversation even, even his, about even, that. even his lullaby was a lamentation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Jonah was born into tragedy. It's it's awful. It's awful story. And, and, and Jonah's response, right? I'd rather be alone. You know, yeah. he, he doesn't even like the idea <laughs> that you never walk alone, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What if I told you I lied? Yeah. What if I told you I really do want to grow up? Right. It's too late. Too late now. Yeah. <laughs> too late now. Too late now. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. But th th this whole final scene too, like there's a Yoko Ono song playing. <laughs> that's fabulous. And I can't believe I'm saying that about a Yoko Ono song, but it's fabulous and powerful. And he's calling everybody and nobody's home when the goddamn sun won't come up. This night will not end. And there's a wonderful scene with the resolve with his father. But the thing that really got me was the scene where Janko comes by. Yeah, and you know that um, I wanted to, you know, because I started crying again, um, and yep. and I was thinking, you know, is it possible um, that Django loved him, right? Um, like not just as a friend, you know what I mean, right? It was in love with him in a way that made losing him such a scary prospect that he turned to these horrific. Um, you know, or, or to be stolen away by this insignificant, you know, little turd, right? Um, and I mean, there was something about their faces in that moment that was devastatingly lovely. Um, concur, concur. Considering yeah. that this is this is your villain of the piece, you should he should get a comeuppance here, and he doesn't. He gets resolution, even though it's not a good one. That this that last moment between them where Corey starts to cry. And he hugs him. They hug for yeah. a second. You're thinking, oh, they're comforting each other in this time of sorrow. And I said, oh, no, that's goodbye. Yeah. I loved you, but goodbye. I can't I can't be this anymore. I can't be cruel. Right. And and, and when he says that in the in the convenience store, no, I don't want to be like you. Right. Anyway, we're not done yet. Night's not over. Guess what we found at the cemetery. What? Little fags, mother. Wait till you see what we did to a tombstone. We're gonna need photos of it. So, grab your shit. Let's go. Nah. What's the problem, Cosa? Is he your boyfriend or something? Oh, 
I want to be like that. Like what? Cruel. Didn't know you batted for that team. What if I did? Would you still be my friend? Or would you throw dead animals at my house? Wait, what? what are you saying, man? Maybe I'm not one of you anymore. Whoa. Hey. You are one of us. Or you're nobody. I guess friends are nobody then, eh? Yeah, I don't want to be cruel. And, and, and kind of seeing the product of cruelty, right, in this dead child um, and, 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 and taking responsibility, right, for his own, his own complicity in that. And the idea that Django, you know, when he comes back, to me, this is, this is when good acting is, is evident because you can just see on him that he is also approaching a confessional moment, right? Um, that, that, that this has gotten real uh, in a way that is you know, unimaginable, right? It is so Christ-like for Django to enter this scene and be embraced by this person he has just got done torturing, basically, right? Uh, because he doesn't like his weird little friend. And so the resolution for me was perfect, right? Uh, this is what I'm all about, right? This is what forgiveness looks like when you don't even have to use the word. Um, and, you know, it, it just blew my mind to see that without barely speaking. That's high caliber uh, stuff, right? Concur, 100%. Because all I said, the stuff I said about goodbye, that's not in the text. Right. That's None of this is in the no. text. It's, just, yeah. it's in their eyes. It's in the way they're delivering their lines. It's in the subtext which I think is fascinating too. Yeah, uh, yeah and even the embrace. I mean, they, that was not a hug. That was an embrace, right? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was two energies entwined together, right? No, and you see it hit on Jenko's face. He's like, this isn't, wait, what? Wait, yeah, what, exactly. What? what? Yeah. Oh, 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 that's what this is. I've lost you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's real. It's just powerful grief, you know, like it, it yeah, the ending is wow. I mean, <laughs> of course, that's not you know. I'm, I, I guess we're going to talk about the the, the follow up, but um. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. I mean, we, we will get there, but yeah, but I think I I I, uh, I part of me wants to hate the movie for making uh, a gay sacrificial lamb character, but no, this is how it had to play out. This is right. Yeah, this is right. You know, it 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 never felt like that. No, 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 no. No, no. It felt like a very human sacrifice, right? Jonah didn't commit suicide. Jonah wasn't killed by the bullies. It was right. an accident. Yeah, it was his own stupidity. He got drunk and he fell. Right. It was dumb. It was dumb luck. So it could happen to anybody. But he got this magical chance to come back and save his friend because it's Halloween. The person I want to talk about. The person I completely forgot to talk about. Because man, when he shows up in the movie, I said, "What's going on?" The man in the white suit. What was that place? Who is that man? I don't know him. He looked familiar. We meet him twice. The first time you don't remember. And the second time you never forget. The first time you don't remember. The second time you never forget. Yes. The first time you see this character, it's right after the, the tunnel story. Like you just see the boys leave the tunnel and then this figure 
comes crawling out of this filthy drain pipe in an immaculate white linen suit. This beautiful man of color and you're going, oh, fuck, who's this now? <laughs> I think I know who it is, but I don't want to admit who it is. But yeah, there's, throughout the story, they're being followed by the man in the white suit. Right. Who's not threatening. No. He's just, he's just there. He's just coming. Dawn's coming. And I'm here when you're ready to come home. Part of my 80s trauma um, got triggered in this movie too. Just the use of home. Mm. The game doesn't stop until we get home. Right. Uh, 80s code. When you heard a friend who was sick that they were going home to their family, you knew you were never going to see them again. Right. So every time they came up, I'm going, oh man, even, even before I knew what it was going, somebody's going to die. Someone's going home to Jesus. Or maybe they both are. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't like it. It was just like, I just had this instinctive trigger. Yeah. That something was wrong here. It all worked out right. They wound up where they're supposed to be. Because what you see when he's finally reunited with the, with the man in the white suit, you're going, oh, this is, this is kind. It's loving. It's respectful. You've had your fun. Time to come home. The, poor, the, the street lights are on. Time to come home. Right. Yeah. It has a very... Um... You know, that idea that the game isn't over till we get home to me was that was very much kingdom language. Right. The idea that we kind of run this human race um, until the race is done. Right. And when it's done, we go home um, and and home is the place where all of this unresolved stuff is is no longer unresolved. Right. Because it is where peace and love live right in their fullest. Um, and so. You know, there, but that guy in white, okay. So he freaked me out, to be honest. And I was, I, what I, what I kind of like, you know, what I like about the way he resolved was there's a, there was a part of me that was thinking, okay, I got to be suspicious because he's dressed in white. You know, sometimes the, the, the sort of turn it on his head is to have the bad guy in white, right? Yeah. Um, and he came out, he came out of the sewer. Yeah. He came, he came out, out of the ground, right? So he's, it's, yeah. it's like, you know, uh, this, this sort of, Un, it, it unsettling. I'm going to say that word a lot. Unsettling, uh, sort of entrance into the world, and then you start to recognize that he is kind of like that that uh, observational presence, right? Who who has minor roles in this journey, but it's still the boys' choices, right? It's still their decision to keep going. Um, and yeah, he's going to meet you at the end, right? Mm -hmm. I got a real great party plan. There's a singer. This next. Gonna see your dog. Right. It's gonna be a great time. Yeah, there's racks. Yes, there's and, a tree. There's yeah. a tree you can play in for a little while, but then we gotta go home. The tree of life is covered in lights, right? Yeah. When he first came out, that my even though the, the costume was wrong, just something about the pose of it made me say Baron Zombie from Voodoo, the Voodoo God of the Dead, mm -hmm. which he pretty much is. Uh, like an Aboriginal form of this. And he said, like the, the, the what I thought what the director was great. Is like I wanted specifically an Aboriginal person because we're in Australia and I wanted whoever is watching over this land for thousands and thousands and thousands of years to not be a white guy, be right. like the, the real heart of Australia coming out. Say, come on home, baby. Well, and, and then there's, you know, there's that great moment where they see him when they're playing in the tree. Um, and when the response is, we need to go higher, right? We got to keep climbing, right? Because the, I see this guy. So yeah, he was, um, yeah. <laughs> just a good character who barely spoke right? yeah he sang a little bit that's it yeah he sang a little bit he sang a little bit and then what i also thought like this time what one of the things that really was breaking my heart i'm like when i realized the game doesn't stop until we get home the game didn't stop until they got to the lake right where jonah's body is I'm like oh that's his home 
Yeah. Now, that's awful. But then you get to see him walk hand in hand off with the man in white. Like, oh, no, he's going home now. Now he's home. Right. Yeah. When he says, what does he say? This is where we say goodbye or something like that. You know, and you're like, well, you're standing by a lake. Right. And yeah, it's uh, it was just I mean, it was it was a great little heaven moment um, that looks nothing like a heaven moment. Um, And so uh, kudos. Yeah. I've also seen uh, the movie's got a lot of flack. I've seen from a couple of reviewers saying like they can't really decide where the movie is. It's like they're pulling from New Orleans culture. They're pulling from Australian culture. They're pulling from Spanish Mexican culture. Like you're trying to be so global. Like I mean, that worked for me. That all worked. That it was a little bit of everything from all around the country and these death ceremonies and death rituals and things like that. That worked. That it's a little bit of everything all mixed up. They were they were journeying through kids' imaginations. Um, and so, you know, to me, these things are things that obviously influenced, you know, things that they've seen or heard or thought about. Right. Um, because yeah, I mean, the, 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 the day of the dead thing was so jarring, um, cause it was so bizarre. Right. And it's little Rex who leads them there, by the way, bark, bark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, and, but, but then it made sense, right. Then it was, it was, it made perfect sense. Uh-huh. And it should be happening because it is the day of the dead. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, this it, is exactly what should be happening tonight. It, it ended up being sort of metaphorically perfect. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what people are criticizing about it. Um, so people like to bitch. I think it's a wonderful movie, but uh, because you can't fit it into a box. It's not an anthology film. Yeah. It's not a horror movie. There's no scares in it. It's not a scary movie. But there's that. What, what I like about it, it's got that magical wonder of Halloween feel to it. It's like anything could happen tonight. Right. Yeah. The, 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 fan, the fantasy. But, you know, I think, you know, to me, this was. This is one of the most human coming of age movies I've seen. Um, and to me, that was part of what I started to recognize that part of the horror, right? And part of what makes horror not fun anymore is real life, right? Mm-hmm. The reality that we live in. Because, you know, cocytis is an escape. And, and, you know, if you can't go to the escape, then you're stuck in a real scary place, right? Yeah. Where, where horror isn't fun anymore which you and I are going to try to stamp that out right now. Absolutely. Horror is still fun, people. Absolutely. It's absolutely fun. It's absolutely. (laughs) Pumpkinhead is fun. Pumpkinhead is fun. Pumpkinhead needed to be in this movie. (laughs) Uh, The other thing I just wanted to say like really quick, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that I mentioned that like there's, there's the movie leads you to think that maybe we're going to be able to beat this. You know, if we join up together and, and we, we might be able to fight off the Darklings, we did fight off the Darklings. We, we, we beat them. And if we could beat them, we could beat him. And maybe my friend will be okay. That's such a male psychological thing, that whole thing that men try to fix every problem rather than listen to the problem. Or Yeah, you know, now, it, that, you know, it, now that you say that, I, I kind of, um, you know, because there's so, there's so little gender disparity in the cast that you sometimes forget about the gender ideals, right? And so um, there is that idea, right, that the tough guy – fights it out right but what solves the problem is compassion right which is what we would i guess some folks would think is a feminine trait i don't know well Um, i just i just know from my little bit of psychology that you know uh, that you know the most any most arguments between husband and wife is because like like i just like the the wife is, is telling you a problem and the husband's trying to fix it she's like no i just want you to listen to me right yeah and that kind of disparity and it goes both ways and that's kind of what's happening here. It's like, I imagine had this had um, Romani been in the situation, we'd be like, oh, Corey, honey, you can't save your friend because your friend is dead. He's dead and he's gone. 
And it, that, and as a character, I mean, I'm not sure that she comes off um, super compassionate, but she is probably the most um, un uh, unfiltered truth teller. Well, it's particularly at that age, girls do mature faster than boys. So she's right. got a lot of wisdom that they don't have yet. And I, I like that. Was there something else I wanted to say? There was, but I don't remember what it was. But that's what I want to say. This was this one moment that I just that I thought was fascinating. Um, first of all, I think it's amazing that there are songs like Miss Susie had a steamboat, the steamboat had yes. a bell that are known <laughs> the world over. Who wrote that? Where did that come from? That we know it all over the world, but that's it comes up twice where they're where they're where they're singing it, walking along, you know, hitting the picket fence with sticks. The first time Jonah's into it and Corey's not. Miss Susie had a steamboat. The steamboat had a bell. Miss Susie went to heaven. The steamboat went to hell. Second time, it's the other way around. And they both get swept up into it. They both get so swept up into the singing of the song that they do become physically children again. Right. And they're laughing and they're giggling and they're shoving each other and they wind up tumbling on the ground. And then all of a sudden they're teenagers again in this weird embrace that now all of a sudden is awkward. Susie had a steamboat. The steamboat had a bell. Susie went to heaven. The steamboat went to Hello, operator. Give me number nine. If you disconnect me, I'll chop, chop off your behind the refrigerator. There was a piece of glass, but Susie sat upon it and broke a little. Ask me no more questions. Tell me no more lies. The boys are in the bathroom. Zipping up, the flies are in the meadow. Bees are in the park. The Susie and her boyfriend are kissing in the deep. You still hungry? Yeah, that was. This is perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, we can't do this anymore because society says we can't. Even though there's nothing sexual going on, it's weird. It makes us look weird. This is one of an unspoken moment of. Oh, yeah, life. <laughs> <laughs> Someone might have seen that. Yeah, but anyway. yeah, it was a, it was a, a lot of this had elements of sort of you know, um, I think as a kid, um, who was not a happy kid. Um, I too retreated into imagination, right, to survive, and that's why we become theater kids, right, yep. um, to mm -hmm. live in other worlds. And so, there are these elements in this, and I think sometimes if you're a literal adult-brained person, you can't see that some of the sort of incongruities uh, may actually be those little indications of how kids remember things, right? Because okay, you know that moment you know these these moments where you know like the the appearance of the day of the dead stuff i mean you know yeah it, of course it was cinematically symbolic and all of that stuff but you know kids see that stuff right and that stuff makes impressions on them right um and i i had a skull obsession as a kid i mean you know i was all messed up but um so you know i think there are these i don't know if they're intentional um or if i'm just turning them into that because it makes me happy um, but there are these little moments where I think, yeah, like that's kind of, it's kind of kid brain, right? They're, they're, they're smarter than we are in a different way. No, I, I'll buy that. Plus artist objective, if that's what you got out of it, that that's what you got out of it. And I say that, I see that. 
and I guess this movie does require you to go to that kid place to enjoy it too. Cause I'm looking at these reviews that were way too critical of it and critical about the wrong things and missing the point. Right. And what I would just like to emphasize, emphasize again, the thing that really strikes me again and again and again and again is the amount of male affection that happens in this movie. Yeah. That you don't normally see. And it's not just gay stuff. It's just like between his father and father and son. Right. And the, the, the Jenko and, and, even even though they're rivals and even though they're like this this weird stressful thing going happening and even though their relationship is about to be over there's still affection between them and it's unfiltered and you don't get to see that normally it's normally like got to be punched up like 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 the 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 wolves would do with violence or or stupid jokes we got we got to take the edge off of it because that was too real we got to do the back slap when we hug right otherwise it's gay yeah and it's it's it's, 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 it's men be men and boys just being comfortable with their affection for each other. And you don't get to see that in movies very often. I think that's really part of the magic of this movie. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and I think that too, right. That had a certain subtlety that was really lovely. Um, and, and it was because it was so apparent, right. That this was, this was affection that we're probably not all used to. Um, but it was also apparent that it was not an issue for them. Right. right. Um, so there was a lot of comfort with affection um, that I think was really healthy um, to see. And, and, and also it, that's, you know, it, that creates the fertile ground for, for forgiveness and restoration and all the stuff that happens in this movie. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it, again, remarkably subtle, but not subtle. <laughs> Much like me. All right, <laughs> I think we might've done boys in the trees, Pastor Ben. Right. Can you get the rights to play lump? Um. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> no. 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 I might be able to get Yoko Ono, but <laughs> just improvise a little something. The magic little movie. All right. So, Pastor Ben, where can people find out more about you and what's going on? And 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 and, and tell me, tell me about your church. Uh, yeah. So, I'm the pastor of a little tiny church, uh, small but fierce, is what we call ourselves, um, in uh, the Finger Lakes of New York, um, which is uh, the Scipioville Presbyterian Church. I would spell that, but it takes five minutes. Um, and it'll uh, be it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter as Pastor Fabulous. Um, I'm on Facebook and all that good stuff. So um, you can easily connect with me there. If you're interested in seeing my sermons, they tend to appear on Facebook. So um, yeah, so that's what I do. Love that. Love that. I love that. I, I, I've oh, said- wait I, I, for, wait, I forgot to say, we are a fully affirming church. Uh, I'm their big old gay pastor. Um, and, and we love us, the rainbow children. So um, we are an unusual little country church also. You don't often meet uh, a, a gay pastor of a small little church in the middle of upstate New York. But then again, you also don't run into one who's also married to a demonologist. So there's many layers to the Pastor Ben story. There. Yes. <laughs> I, I was also a former atheist, right? It just gets more and more fun. Layers. Layers are fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for joining me, Pastor Ben. Have a fabulous summer and I'll see you in September when I'm back. Thank you and peace be with you. Thank you. Yay! Well, of course it was fabulous because we had Pastor Fabulous himself, Ben Fitzgerald Fye. Thank you so much, Pastor Ben, for joining me. It would not have been the same without you. This was a wonderful journey, and we're not quite done yet. 
because um, I got a few things left to say, the things that what I'm left to simmer while I'm recording, things that pop into my head. And just to warn you, none of these are really fully formed thoughts. They're just kind of half thoughts that are percolating in my head that I'll just going to pop into your head to let them percolate there as well. Maybe you can complete the thought. But anyway, let's go. Something that I touched on in the session with Pastor Ben is that um, I initially was angered that this whole movie was about saving Corey. Oh, the gay ghost gets to save the straight person. Mm, but then I realized that they're both being saved. And I never really got to elaborate fully on what that meant. First of all, going all the way back to the first time they first meet as, as, as ghost and boy, Jonah said something odd. He asked Corey if he had anything to eat. And that's one of those lines, every time I see the movie, I think it's weird and then I forget about it. And now that I've made note of it, I realize, oh, that's right. We're playing by ancient Halloween rules because that's what trick or treat is all about. The dead walk the night, come to your door and ask for food. And if you don't give them any, you're going to get haunted. Even though Jonah doesn't know he's dead right now, he's playing by Halloween rules. So I guess if Corey had had a Snickers bar and gave it to Jonah, the rest of the movie wouldn't have happened. He would have gotten what he needed. And we moved on. But he didn't, and thank goodness it didn't, because we get this other rich story. Because like I said, yes, Jonah is there to save Corey, but Corey also winds up saving Jonah. Because I think had Jonah, had Corey not gone looking for Jonah, after he has a scene with Romany where they figure out what they're going to do with their future, where he finds his home, and he... When he realizes that Jonah isn't home and he goes and finds him in that tunnel, I think that Jonah would have haunted that tunnel for the rest of his existence. That he would have been another lonely ghost haunting the darkness. Because Corey went and found Jonah, lit that match, and Jonah finally realized he was dead, the rest of the movie could continue. We could finally lay him to rest. One of the things that I really like about this movie is its fluidity. Is that it, it's about being boys, but it's also about being men. It's about straight. It's about gay, but about neither but both. It's about, it's this coming of age story set firmly in the 90s, yet both this movie and the companion movie, The Last Time I Saw Richard, they both get their titles from 70s folk singers. Boys in the Trees is a Carly Simon song, and The Last Time I Saw Richard is a Joan, Joni Mitchell song. So it's a movie from the, it's a movie from the 2010s, set in the 90s, getting ancient wisdom from the sage women of the 70s. I just like how the movie refuses to let itself pin down into one thing. And it's many things to many people. And one of the things that I'm curious about is that I've discovered during research on the movie and reading interview after interview after interview with Nicholas Verso is something that almost never comes up is the queer aspect of the story. It's almost like straight people don't see it. And I'm wondering that, well, and I'm thinking that's entirely possible because, you know, we as gay people, we're accustomed to reading the signs. Yeah, we're, we're versed in this language. We spent a whole life speaking in code. So we know when we see one of our own. And maybe they're just not seeing it. So I don't think I'm done with Boys in the Trees yet. I think I'm considering having a panel, possibly on Patreon, just like a little half-hour thing, with some heterosexuals, probably Michael Howie, probably Christopher Gronlin. Because I'd like to know what they have to think. Because something that keeps I, my brain keeps coming back to as well, it's just the title, Boys in the Trees, and... That speech that um, Romany has, why don't you get out of your goddamn diapers and you know, I'm standing here, why don't you notice me? Your boys always spend your time with your heads in the trees. I started thinking, is that a bad thing? So the movie doesn't really answer the question, is it a bad thing for men just to want to still be boys and keep their heads in the trees just a little while longer? Because I was thinking that up until recently, the role of a man 
in society was, you know, you, you, you're a boy, you become a man, you get married, you have kids, you become the breadwinner, maybe you go to war, you don't have, con- you don't have any contact with your kids, and then you die of a heart attack at 50. There wasn't lots of time for fun. There wasn't, you, you, you didn't have men of the 50s buying, you know, comic book collectibles or going to conventions or, or doing goofy kid stuff like that. This is a recent thing. And, of course, I could also say the, the, the same is could be said for women. It was, you were just there to make babies, raise the babies, and die. No time for book clubs. No time for pottery class. No time for other things. You got to keep the house. You got to keep the kids. That's your job. And I got to thinking so much of what passes for man-to-man bonding is violence. It's always over violence. You have to go hunt something or, or catch a fish, catch a fish, kill a fish. Or sports, which is basically fake wars. And I don't know where I'm going with any of this. It's just, except I do know where I'm going with this. I'm just saying, well, maybe it's not such a bad thing for us as modern men to aim to keep one foot on the ground while your head's in the tree as well. Like, try to balance both worlds. Try to be both the boy, the boy and the man simultaneously without being the violent beast that society seems to have wanted us to be in the past. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm where I'm getting with this. So I think I'm just going to wrap things up. Although before I do, I realized that even though we mentioned the denouement, the final scene, the, the Halloween after this Halloween, where we find out what's going on with Romany and Corey and how their new dreams are going, even though we kept talking about talking about that scene, we never actually talked about that scene. So you're going to have to go rent the movie to find out what's happening with Romany and Corey in their new homes and how the spirit of Jonah dwells within them both. My beautiful screamers, thank you for a fabulous season. We went places this year that I didn't expect to go, and I hope we're going to some new places next year as well. Um, Patreon's going to be very busy over the summer. I got a whole bunch of things lined up. Uh, Damian Wonka Lewis will be coming back. Um, it came to the 70s. We'll be back as well. And I'm also going to be talking with some queer filmmakers over on Patreon. So if you're not a member, please go over there and join right away. You can do that by going to www.patreon.com slash screamqueens. You can support the show and unlock all kinds of fabulous queer content. This show is already late, so the longer I talk, the longer it's going to take for this to get out to you. So in order to keep up to date with everything that will be going on with Scream Queens next season and on Patreon over the summer, please follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook at Scream Queens. Of course, that's Queens with a Z. And I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. So until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place and never, ever forget the Scream Queens golden rule. Say it with me one last time for season 13. One, two, three, fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay fabulous. The music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs> Ew.